Despite pop culture opinion, it's not always sunny in Philadelphia. But it was when we were in town for the Coinvention Conference, and we even did our show live on stage at the event. But sometimes technology just fails. And unfortunately, we don't have a good recording of that show. And also, unfortunately, Travis had to leave before we had a chance to record additional content together. But the show must go on. And I had the opportunity to moderate a fireside chat with keynote speaker Jeremy Gardner, a former guest on this show. Jeremy's back to share his opinion on stable coins, John McAfee and the price of Bitcoin. I also spoke with Matt Rosen of Splinterlands to discuss his new digital trading card game. So saddle up to a Philly cheesesteak sandwich and hug your neighbor. After all, this was recorded in the city of brotherly love. It's episode number 300. 112 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And hello to take two of episode number 312 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. How are you doing, Mr. Travis Wright? This is episode 312B. Yeah, point five. Point five, yeah, yeah. There we go. Good it's stuff. Bad because we we did our show on stage at Coinvention. Yeah, and it was it was a good show. It was hilarious. We did we did it really good. We had lots of fun. The crowd was great. Uh, very interactive. They stayed the whole time. We didn't run anybody off, which is rare. <laughs> and uh, we had some great jokes. And uh, I got a chance to have some delicious Philly cheesecake. Mm. Well, you know, the we did get a recording, but it the guys that were running the sound booth, somebody jacked up something and the levels were spiking. So maybe we'll upload the audio into the mastermind. And so if somebody have the video, that, we could just maybe upload the video there if we have that. Uh, we don't have the video yet. I have the audio from the video, but oh, that, okay. that's hard to hear also because it's like the camera was at the back of the room. Right. Ah, I see. Yeah. Maybe we can upload it for you so you guys can have some bonus content. Not high quality bonus content, but quality content nonetheless. It, you know, if you can if you love bad crypto that much and you want to want to hear us through the uh, the painful audio situation. We were we, call it Mr. Joe Com was not pleased. Oh man, I, he no. was steaming. I saw I saw steam coming out of his ears. His forehead got really red. He he, he chokes, body slammed three people. It's crazy. Okay, none of that is true, <laughs> except for the fact that I wasn't happy. I was, I definitely wasn't happy about it. But I am, body slamming people, Mr. Joe Com is so rude. <laughs> I am happy that our show sponsor, eToro, is helping a lot of people get started with the cryptos. It's the number one social trading platform. Social because they've got over 11 million users around the world, and you can see what other people are trading. They've got what they call copy portfolios so that if hey somebody's having a really good week you can go you know what i'll have what they're having and just copy their portfolio and it's pretty cool it's now available in the us of a you can download the eToro app and if you go through this special link you still have an opportunity to get bad coin socks go to badcode.in forward slash eToro follow the simple instructions there and build your crypto portfolio the smart way start today what are you waiting for do it especially while the price of bitcoin is down mm -hmm. i would also say this is that there's a lot of folks that have signed up uh, via the link 
but have not gone through the whole process. So it's not just signing up, it's going in and uh, making your first time deposit of 50 bucks and then executing that uh, on some sort of crypto trade. Once you do that, that's what triggers it. And then that's what gives us the notification to send you out some socks that you've been verified on that. So if you've gone through the process and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have that have not uh, completed the process, just go complete the process real quick because we are running low on socks. And when they are gone, there is no guarantee that we will have new socks. So that's right. I would suggest hustling. Hmm. Every day I'm hustling. All right. Well, while we don't have the original audio, should we put that on the playlist too? I guess we have to now. What's it? It was uh, was it Party Rock? Party Rock is tonight. I guess so. I'm not sure. Every day I'm shuffling. Yeah, it's a Party Rock Anthem. I think. Yep, that oh, is yes. LMFAO. Adding it to. I like the video version of. Every day I'm shuffling, but it shows like this old dude who's got like some crutches and a cane. He got a cane or whatever. Then all of a sudden he gets in the moment and he just drops the cane. He just starts boogieing. It's like the best animated GIF ever. It's like a great video. It'll brighten your mood. So you you had to leave Philadelphia before the show was over. But late that afternoon, Jeremy Gardner delivered a 20 minute keynote, which was a really nice overview of the crypto world. And Mm -hmm. then I came on stage to host a fireside chat and ask him a bunch of questions. And that is the feature of today's show. So let's go to it. All right, so I've got some questions, and then uh, we're going to open it up to y'all if you have some questions for Jeremy. How old are you? 27, about to be 28. About to be 28. A couple more months, a couple more years, so I'm an adult. It's kind of scary. How many industries do you know where you can be an OG at 27? That is just remarkable. Well, I mean, the craziest thing is Joey, my co-founder of Augur, because we founded that when he was, what, 19 and now he is the youngest person in the world ever to run a hedge fund with over $100 million. He, they've got like $300 million now, and he's like, what, 24, 23? I mean, it's just insane. That's remarkable. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's play a game. Okay. This will be a little bit of a lightning round. We're going to start with personalities. You can be brief, you can abstain, or you can uh, of the OGs. elaborate. Jamie Dimon. He's a dick, but I mean, I mean, but I'll be frank. I mean, I, but, but God bless his soul. I mean, he's like much of my inspiration for getting into Bitcoin. See, I wasn't a libertarian. I wasn't an anarchist. I was like a, like a very Democrat, Democratic progressive, uh, grew up in the most liberal town in America. And I actually got my start. What really pushed me into Bitcoin was I was at Occupy Wall Street. And I saw how protesting the banks had been just this massive failure. Um, and the banks were never going to change. There was no amount of reform you could accomplish. And when I discovered Bitcoin, which allowed you to be your own bank and effectively create your own financial system, uh, that's when I went all the way in. And so it's, it's very much due to the dickhead bankers that I'm here right now. <laughs> uh, Roger Ver. I love Roger. Uh, uh, I just, he actually just gave a quote for my upcoming memoir. Uh, I've known Roger for, well, since 2014, five, five years. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't think I agree with Roger on virtually anything. Uh, 
we could not be more diametrically opposed in almost all of our belief systems, except our like overarching goal towards like individual liberty and freedom, and it, achieved by very different means. But I very much respect R Roger. I mean, he's done a lot of shit I disagree with and, and don't like how he's done it. But this guy has been, you know, by the book since day one. I mean, this is a guy that gave Gavin Andreessen, who was, who was the first Bitcoin core developer, his first Bitcoin. This guy has been saying Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system and it's going to change the world since 2010. I mean, he is as OG as it gets. And you can't blame him for when he sees that, you know, the core developers don't want to scale. They, they really take on this view that it's supposed to be digital gold. Um, which, you know, I came to terms with, uh, but like I accept the fact that he didn't. Uh, did he do it the right way? Probably not. He's not the most diplomatic guy. But I, I respect the fact that, you know, he, he, he envisions Bitcoin as an electronic cash system. And, it, and, he, and he very much, you know, did something that was good for this ecosystem because I don't think if Bitcoin was just one, there was just one Bitcoin today, we'd be better off. I think the infighting is unhealthy and, you know, let there be two versions of Bitcoin and let the masses choose. So the issue that I and many others take with it is that Bitcoin.com and at Bitcoin are framed as... I, th I bet you're a free market guy. Bitcoin. I mean, yeah. that, that's the market at work. I it, mean, yeah. <laughs> he, he owns it. He can do what he wants. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't love it. I, I, like I said, it, it, it's not... It's somewhat disingenuous. I don't, I, I, I don't agree with everything he does, but he's still a friend. He's not Judas. I respect him. Uh, but the antics aren't always uh, well, You can't agreeable. go from Bitcoin Jesus to Bitcoin Judas. I mean, there's a guy I, I mean, transition. It, 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 it's, good, it's good branding for the guys that are villainizing him. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, a, he's a good guy. Like I, like I, and I'll stand by his character. So I'm curious, politically, you know, when, you're, when we're younger, we do tend to lean more liberal yeah. and progressive, mm -hmm. although personally I think progressive is more regressive these days. I'm wondering where you have moved to. So I'd say I'm less liberal, but I, progressive is a very social concept in my view. I, my, I, you know, econo even economically progressive, I guess, because I, you know, I believe in there will be need for basic income eventually. And I believe in most like liberal social policies, but I also very much agree with uh, the libertarians. I mean, the libertarians are actually almost more extreme than the liberals in some of their social policies. And I'm generally aligned with them. You know, the only thing I don't really like is uh, the, all the gun stuff. I don't think everybody needs a gun. I don't think you can defend yourself from the government with a gun. And thus, I think having a bunch of guns is kind of stupid and leads to unnecessary deaths in this country. But otherwise, you know, the, the libertarianism definitely creeped into me. Both being around some of the smartest libertarians in the world, Jeffrey Tucker, Roger Ver, Eric Voorhees. I mean, these guys, I mean, I would have hour-long debates with them in the early days of crypto. And, you know, I conceded to some of their points. And so I definitely became more libertarian over time. But I, I still think, you know, I, I, I've always called myself a Marxist libertarian. And I, and I, I think I'd, I'd still retain that table, uh, okay. uh, title. Okay. Speaking of libertarian, John McAfee. Oof. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just took the wind out of you. Whoa. There. So, like, John's this guy that, I mean, he's a household name. Like, and he's this crazy dude with this incredible aura, and he's this maniac. 
And, you know, I, you know, I, I drank whiskey and smoked cigars with John a few times and always had a great time. His stories, you never know if you can believe it, but, like, he's so crazy, you kind of feel like you have to believe it. And, I mean, I, I, I so thoroughly enjoy spending time with him, but, you know, then I watched this documentary about him on Netflix called Gringo, and, ooh, you can't, I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to like him after that. Like, I mean, he's just like, he does some really bad shit. And then the guy that's co-writing my book with me actually spent nine months with John, uh, helping John write his uh, memoir, and then ended up quitting because he was so hard to work with. And once, once I heard those stories about John, oh, yeah, uh, it's unfortunate, you know. Uh, they say don't meet your heroes. John was never a hero to me, but he's definitely the type of guy that, you know, it's better to hear the lore about him and, uh, than, than to read the truth. So, do you think he's going to be eating his dick by the end of 2020? No. I, I, I mean, John is the sort of guy that would eat a, a dick, but probably not his own. <laughs> <laughs> That's a soundbite right there. That's it. Uh, Charlie Lee. So, Charlie Lee actually just came over on Sunday. He was at, he was at the Dolphins game uh, where they just got thrashed. It was like a Japanese-style like dolphin slaughter by the Patriots. Uh, uh, but I'm a Patriots fan, so it was a great game. But uh, Litecoin has a partnership with the Dolphins, and someone said, oh, like, Charlie, Jeremy's also at the game. You guys should get together. And I, we messaged, and he came, he's been to the Crypto Castle and that stuff, but I now have a Crypto Castle in Miami. And uh, he came over, and we shot the shit. And I don't think I had seen him since the big controversy with him uh, dumping his Litecoins. And we talked about it, and I totally get it. I mean, you know, the guy didn't have a lot of Litecoin. Like, he had, he had, like all these guys that were early in crypto, you know, when, when your crypto portfolio goes up 10, 50x in the early days, you think, oh, this is it. Like, I'm rich now, you know, <laughs> or I'm 10 times richer, 15 times richer than I was. I'm going to sell. And so he, and he had always done, like, a fair mining launch. And so he, he only had the terms to mine as much as he could. By the time he had dumped his coins, he really didn't have that much left. You know, the way he did it wasn't, like, great. But, I mean, if he had, if he had, if he had announced it before dumping his coins, he would have lost money. And anyway, anyone that dumped their coins because of him, uh, because he said he had dumped his, actually saved a lot of money because that was right before the market crashed. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Charlie Lee, another wonderful guy. Always have enjoyed him honest, good guy that's been unnecessarily villainized, you know. When you have this very online community which kind of drives Bitcoin and all these other crypto assets, people tend to get put into extremes. But most of these guys are very mild-mannered. And, and if they've been in this space since, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, they're probably in it for the right reasons. Well, in the space does attract some interesting characters. Here's one, Patrick Byrne. So Patrick, oh God, did you, uh, all these people have had these very interesting trajectories in the time I've known them. I love Patrick. I mean, I, I, he's like a, a philosophy PhD, uh, like really fun, interesting guy, always just like had the best conversations with him whenever he spoke out. I mean, totally out there once again, but... I don't know, like, I'm not the type of guy to be inclined towards government conspiracies, but even my, like, super liberal Marxisty parents, like, they read about what happened with Patrick, they're like, that's a government conspiracy. Like, that, that guy's been fighting with multiple government agencies for t three decades now, and you just read this story and it doesn't add up. It's just like, all right, so he had an affair with a now-convicted Russian spy, why is he stepping down from his company? 
Like, who cares? Like, so someone was going to announce it. Someone's going to blackmail him and announce it. So he, he felt compelled to retire. So there, there's something, there's something like totally hidden there. And I, you know, there's definitely some element of blackmail and extortion. But you know, I only wish him the best. I don't have anything bad to say about him. Well, let, let's bookend the first one. We said Jamie Dimon. You gave us your opinion. Let's put on the other end as we close out the personalities. Peter Schiff. Well, so I don't like gold, so I think he's a loser anyway. I, like, I just like, I, I just like, it's not like a great investment, no matter how you look at it. It's you know, it's a decent, but like, look, I, I do crypto. I like a hundred extra turns. Uh, you're not, you're not getting that with gold anytime soon. Uh, but, but I mean, I don't like anyone that doesn't concede points. And Schiff is a sort of guy that doesn't make concessions, from what I can tell. I, I don't follow him, but he's always just getting people angry it's like why do you even listen to this guy like who cares like you know if the gold bugs haven't come around yet when are they going to come around like he's not making a difference here so i think he's just the sort of guy you should ignore that was fun okay let's do let's do this with a, a few different tokens okay all right eos oh <laughs> uh look i i'm close with a lot of the the eos guys i thought it was a very interesting attempt uh, at something that Ethereum and Bitcoin hadn't tried to do, which is strive for scalability and speed. And that's because really the purpose of a blockchain is censorship resistance and decentralization, which EOS uh, fundamentally compromises on. But there was a certain point early on in the life of EOS, besides all, before all these hyperscalable blockchains came out, where I thought, okay, there are all these use cases for blockchain technology, like supply chain, uh, you know, trading and settlement, where you don't really actually see the need for tremendous uh, censorship resistance and decentralization. You just need a degree uh, of like auditableness uh, and distribution that traditional distributed databases don't have. Um, and I thought maybe EOS could do that. But you see the introduction of Libra and these more corporatized chains, and it's very likely one of these uh, conglomerate chains run by like you know big tech establishments are much more likely to pull off this scalability compromising for censorship resistance better than EOS can. Now, if any hyperscalable blockchain is going to do it that isn't run by a large corporation or a group of uh, corporations, it probably will be EOS. Because if you look at the history of crypto assets, the first movers tend to win, and they have a huge treasury. But I'd be inclined to gravitate towards a platform like Libra for those applications that need to be decentralized, uh, but not particularly uh, censorship resistant. Okay. Well, we, we referenced this one earlier by virtue of the person I brought up. Bitcoin Cash. Look, uh, I don't own any. Uh, did you ever? I did. and I held because it Because of the fork. Well, I, I, I owned it because of the fork. Um, but I held it because of my belief in Roger, my belief in Jihan. I mean, those are, those are powerful, influential guys in this space. And they're very close with the guys at SBI, SoftBank. And SoftBank very quickly came in all in on Bitcoin Cash. They, they had no stakes in anything else. And I thought there was, there, there was a potential for it to meaningfully grow, at least in line with Bitcoin. I probably took a, an, an unnecessary loss, but I've never claimed to be a good trader. Okay. Along um, those lines, chance of a flippening at some point. I think it's 
increasingly improbable. There was a point where I would have given it, you know, maybe 30%. Now it's probably less than five. But you, you know, the thing is, is that something could go wrong with Bitcoin. Uh, something could similarly go uh, wrong with Bitcoin Cash. It's more well, it's like dead. You know, what? Bitcoin's dead. I mean, haven't yeah. you read? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there, I mean, look, there's always room for some like existential flaw to be found in the system. And you know, if Bitcoin were to be a vulnerability that was existential to its existence were to be found, and it wasn't in Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Cash would be the most likely crypto asset to usurp Bitcoin. But you know, I'm, it's, it's a very marginal likelihood at this point. Number three in market cap is XRP. XRP is the best investment I've ever made. Uh, uh, I, I invested in late 2015 at 0.002%, and you know, I got you know, thousands X return, you know, better, like an order of magnitude better than a seed stage investment in Uber. Uh, like, that was just the craziest investment I've ever made. Now, back then, there weren't that many crypto assets that were trying to be like compliant, work with banks. And so it didn't seem crazy to me to put 1% to 2% of my portfolio into XRP. It was the only one really being the institutional crypto. It has not, however, accomplished anything it initially set out to do. And thus, I just have to be incredibly bearish on it. You know. I, I, there, there was a point in which I think it could have been truly successful. I think Ripple, the company, is great. I, I mean, they kill it. I mean, they sell their software to banks all over the world. I'm a shareholder. I like Ripple, the company. They may get sued because of XRP eventually. Uh, but I, I, I don't think XRP will ever realize that potential that led me to make a small investment in it early on. And I can't see myself ever owning it again. And coming soon, Ripple, the TV show. Really? Right. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, may, it would make a great court drama. Right. Well, the, the closest competitor to Ripple, many would say, is Stellar. So what do you think of XLM? Look, Jed's uh, a brilliant guy. Uh, I mean, sort of $2 billion blockchains, you know. Uh, he created Mt. Gox, for what that's worth. Uh, and he, I, I actually really like Jed. Once again, for all of his flaws and issues, uh, Stellar is interesting. I guess I kind of like it more than Ripple because they have a big social impact angle. And you know, there's a part of me that would want to own equity in you know whatever uh, the company is, Stellar Lightyear or whatever. But it's not really a blockchain. It's similar to Ripple, and it's really kind of like a chain of ledgers. And the currency itself. Once again, doesn't really have a tremendous amount of value. I, I like. I think Stellar, the blockchain, can be successful without XLM really meaningfully appreciating a market cap. And so, XLM, it's not interesting to me nearly as much as what Stellar is doing to create tools for democratized financial access, and which I, I, I really am supportive of. How about uh, Neo? Curious your thoughts. Trash, about Neo. garbage. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, there are exceptions to the blockchains that have come out of East Asia, notably Qtum, which I was one of the first angel investors in, so I'm obviously biased. Uh, but, but, you know, NEO doesn't, like, work. They're, they're, it's not, like, it's not in any way censorship resistant. You know, they're, they're, their conception of Byzantine fault tolerance is just kind of a joke. 
uh, you know, smart contracts cost like eighty thousand dollars to deploy. You know, it, it, it's you know, I don't want to call it a scam. I can't I can't pinpoint the intentions of its creators. But uh, I, you know, unlike a project like Qtone, which you know is very much uh, a working blockchain uh, that is censorship resistant and decentralized, Neo is not. I was kind of hoping you'd tell us how you really feel. <laughs> okay, one more close out, and this is actually a combination because this one is so closely tied to the personality, Bitcoin SV, and Craig Wright. So I think we can all agree Craig Wright is a douchebag. Um, does that mean he's not involved with Satoshi? No. Do I think he's involved with Satoshi? Oh, well, let's say a Bitcoin SV. Garbage. Trash. Forget about it. Uh, yeah, never going to be a thing. Uh, Craig Wright is, ooh, he's an interesting character. Uh, total not a nice guy. There's, there is reasonable evidence to believe he may have something to do with the creation of Bitcoin. Do I believe he is Satoshi Nakamoto, the, the, like, uh, or the second coming? No. But I wouldn't totally discredit him from having some level of involvement. Uh, I, I, you know, he's not just Satoshi, but could he have had a part? I think it's plausible, uh, and I'm not going to be the sort of person to call him an outright fraud in that regard, although he's an outright fraud in many. And owes 500,000 Bitcoin to the state of his former partner. Well, I mean, if, if, if he ever gets those Bitcoins, I sure hope he gives that many away. So Right. Okay, so if you had to pin the tail on the donkey somewhere, who is Satoshi? I think Satoshi is a group. I don't think it's one person. I think one or more of the Satoshi people are dead or in prison. Um, I, 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 you know, there's this fascinating story about this guy that went by Paul Saloshi, uh, yeah. this international arms dealer and drug trafficker. A true criminal master. Like, honestly, if anyone was going to be Satoshi, I'd want it to be him. He's like the most badass Satoshi ever. I mean, his life already makes an amazing movie without the whole creating Bitcoin thing, but oh, you add Bitcoin to it, and it's just unreal. Uh, not, once again, not a great guy, but, uh, but fascinating, and I, and I think it'd be hilarious if he, in fact, was Satoshi. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of stories. I, I think the truth will eventually come out in some form. But at this point, for sure, I think truth will always be stranger than fiction. And I don't think we need the myth anymore. You know, this whole Satoshi founding myth really helped perpetuate the success of Bitcoin. Nowadays, you know, I think it's almost better off if we don't know as long as those coins don't move. But, you know, the second there is a probability that the coins are actually going to move, I think it's very important uh, that we know who it is in advance so people, the market can react accordingly. Like, you, you, you don't want to be owning Bitcoin if Craig Wright actually has access to anywhere near a million of them. That's going to be very ugly. So, uh, you know, I kind of keep my eyes and ears open. Uh, you know, there's supposed to be this Tulip Trust unlocked next year in which, you know, Craig suddenly has access to all these coins. And, you know, I'll keep an eye on it passively. Uh, but I, I don't really know. I, I haven't heard of anyone better. 
Uh, you know, I'm at that point. I've studied all of the potential Satoshis. And, you know, Craig fitting in with a handful of other names I've looked at. Soloshi is kind of an interesting one. There are really not that many credible Satoshis, in my view, that have that, that, that cross-referencing of economics, libertarianism, cypherpunk roots, a, a cryptography know-how. It's, 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 a, it's a limited bunch that would be likely culprits behind us. What if it was okay. all along actually the Japanese guy that walks around with the conferences? Well, I can say, then I can say Satoshi Nakamoto <laughs> slept in my bed. Uh, he, he actually slept in my bed once in San Francisco when I was on a, a business trip. I've got a I've got a bottle of wine that he, uh, he left for me. It's one of my most prized possessions. I've got a picture with him. That would be awesome. I mean, he's the man. I mean, he, uh, Dorian is a, a great, wonderful guy. He's probably the nicest guy that's ever been accused of being Satoshi Nakamoto. Right. Like, I think of all the people that have ever been accused of being Satoshi Nakamoto, and they're all dicks to varying extents, which really kind of just defeats you when you think of Satoshi as a sort of demigod. But Dorian, oh my God, that would be fabulous. I mean, he's the man. Everybody wants a photo with him. Yeah, he yeah. Walks I mean, around and he's... I mean, the fact that they just like made him famous on such a oh, horrible journalism, and you know that was the first print edition of Newsweek in five years, and they put that horse story on the cover. I mean, <laughs> wild. Okay, so you alluded to liking Libra. Earlier. Oh, I love Libra. So yeah. go ahead, give us your thoughts on. Facebook's plan for world domination and, and how the financial institutions of the world are bowing down before Zuck. Oh, they're not. I, they're fighting back in a big way. I mean, they, I mean, well, they're making investments in it, right? They're, they're... No, none of the banks uh, joined the Libra Association. This this threatens central banks and multinational banks in Germany. I mean, this is this is an ex existential threat to the banking system as we know it in a way that Bitcoin was never able to achieve. Uh, the fear that Facebook has invoked. Uh, and I love it. I mean, look, I, I don't love Zuck. I don't love Facebook. But if you look at the way the Libra Association is structured and how, 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 how the Libra system is structured, you know, Facebook doesn't have this outsized power. Uh, and you know, if you look at the actual mechanics of the system, it's, it's a fairly reasonable uh, you know, not really a blockchain system. And what it does, however, for whatever faults you, uh, you, you, you may assign to it, what, what Libra does that Bitcoin has not been able to do and will not be able to do anytime soon is virtually overnight enable half the world's daily active internet users, 2.5 billion people, uh, to have access to blockchain technology and crypto assets. Literally. Overnight. And what do you think that's going to do to Bitcoin? So it's, it, it, I don't see it being in any way a threat to Bitcoin. If anything, you know, if Facebook does airdrops and people can trade from Libra to Bitcoin, it's a boon to Bitcoin. I think it's a boon to Bitcoin either way. Uh, first of all, from a defensive, from a, a regulatory standpoint, uh, Libra has taken all the focus off of you know, decentralized blockchains and crypto assets and put it entirely on Facebook and Libra. It's been great for us. It's given this industry like a, a year of like defensibility to focus on these projects, like, you know, get them working, figure out legal strategies. And I, I mean, it's been a massive boon in that regard. What, what, what Libra threatens is the ultra scalable blockchains of the world, the EOSs, the hash graphs, 
all, all, all of these blockchains that have compromised on decentralization uh, and censorship resistance for scalability and sc uh, speed because that's what Libra does, except a thousand times better. Uh, you know, just with the built-in user base, you know, with the banking relationships all the, around the world, with, with, you know, all the users. You, you just can't, you can't do scalability and speed better than Facebook will be able to do with their own blockchain-like system. But Ethereum and Bitcoin are in no way threatened by Libra, in my view. So you've got congresspeople like Maxine Waters telling Mark Zuckerberg... Put the brakes on until we have a chance to do discovery. Put the there, brakes on what? It isn't live. I don't like. I don't know what that means. You well, can't tell. Development. You can't, you can't tell a, a software company not to uh, like develop software because you may have some like not written out like legal opposition to what they're building. That's not how the law works. That's not how government works. I mean, these these, these governments are totally overstepping. I mean, it's literally just an idea on a white paper right now. And yet, you know, they're all up in arms. But I think what regulators have done and, and politicians have realized is that, one, you can get easy political points attacking Facebook. Uh, Facebook, you know, people don't trust it. Facebook and Amazon are the new big banks in Walmart. Like, they, they are not trusted by the public. They've lost people's trust in a big way. And, you know, politicians can score points. No one except, like, tech nerds like me are really going to go, like, defend Facebook because they're a bunch of assholes. Uh, but what I think, the tech I think they're building is really good and has the potential for massively beneficial social impact. I mean, like, that no project in this space has the capacity to touch for another decade. Like the ability to create free or near free remittances for people to allow people to have to, to enable massive financial inclusion in a way that's never existed in a lot of the developing world. It all is made possible by what Libra has outlined it and for politicians and regulators to be saying we're going to ban this before even understanding how it works. Even seeing the tech get built is just outrageous in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it, it, it's dangerous. You know, you can't tell a company not to build something they write out on a piece of paper. So do you, I mean, you said it's a good thing that it's taken their eyes off of Bitcoin, but here we are, the CFTC says crypto is a commodity, SEC is saying it's security, IRS is, is supposed to be issuing it's property. new guidance, yeah. it's property. What the hell is it, and how important is it that we get some guidance on this already? I think it's fine that it's a slow process. I think the IRS, it's most important that the IRS, uh, you know, creates clarity on, on what Bitcoin and crypto assets are for mom and pop investors. I think it's not fair. I think the fact that it's taxed as property and every time I buy a coffee with Bitcoin, I have to pay cap gains. That's just stupid and it pisses me off. Uh, uh, but, but generally, you know, the SEC stuff, the SEC and the CFTC, the only people they go after are the people that break the law in, like, really egregious manners. Like, you really haven't seen anyone trying to do good with, with this technology get pursued. Like, I did one of the very first ICOs. I created the very first uh, tokenized security. I've never had a bad experience with the CFTC or SEC. And remember, I created an unstoppable prediction market platform, which is clearly regulated by the CFTC. And I had really wonderful conversations with the CFTC. And they never knocked on your door? No, no, well, I, I knocked on their door. Black uh, helicopters? No, no, I, I knocked on their door. I met with Giancarlo before he was chairman. And, and he loved it. He offered to introduce me to his, you know, uh, VC brother in Silicon Valley. He loved the idea. He's like, let us know when you launch, you know. Uh, he, he thought it was great. And, you know, uh, and even when the, the, one of the 
commissioners of the CMTC gave this speech about prediction markets, and it was very clearly targeted at Augur. Um, I called up my guys at Coin Center. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And and, and they go and, and they go uh, to the commissioner, and a week later, he writes a blog post in partnership with Coin Center, and he retracts his entire speech. I mean, these guys are reasonable when you can have a good conversation with them, and when, when they're aware. When, 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 when they're aware of what you're building and they understand your intention. But the second they're you know, not aware, they hear about what you're doing, your intention looks fraudulent or malicious or clearly, patently breaking the law. You may see act, regulatory action, but we haven't really seen guys trying to follow the law go to jail or get arrested or get fined even, or even for the most part getting warning letters. Like none of my portfolio companies Almost none of the ICOs I invested in, and I invested in very few, ever got warning letters, you know, if you were mindful and smart. I think, you know, we need more time for good frameworks to come out, but I don't think it's the regulators' job. It's lawmakers. The laws today don't really apply to this technology, and, you, you, and they can't really retroactively apply laws that don't fit to this tech that we're building. So, frankly, we, we, we need good laws to be written. And you know that's not going to happen with our current Congress. What time did we flash? We've got, we've got, five, we've got minutes. five minutes. Okay, so I'm uh, not going to have time for individual questions, but people can email you or find you. F find me. Uh, find him. Uh, I'll be around. I'll be around. Decrypt his location. Yeah. Hack his. Uh, uh, I'll hang out. I'll um, hang out in the hallway. After so that. I'll ask you uh, two more questions. First one is uh, the the negative side. How could this go horribly wrong? Oh, there are a lot of ways. I mean, the, the clearest one is what's happening today, and it just becomes like Wall Street 2.0. You look at all this DeFi stuff, and I like DeFi. I mean, Augur was DeFi. Uh, but, but you look at a lot of what's being created, and you like, see like credit default swaps, and you know, I'm sure Blythe Mathsters loves that. But like, what's the point in recreating a system that really just benefits highly savvy, Financially literate, you know, middle class people and upper class people in the developed world. That's not what made Bitcoin so great. I mean, what makes Bitcoin great is this tool that empowers individuals anywhere in the world with an internet connection. And yet, most of the innovation you see in in this space today is very much just recreating the same financial system that we only have in a decentralized manner. But it doesn't benefit a lot of people. And perhaps you need that infrastructure, this new financial layer to, uh, to blockchain technology to realize a lot of the socially impactful uh, applications of this tech. But I have to say, you know, I, I launched my own social impact fund in this space. And the number of new deals I've seen this year, you know, I saw more amazing social impact deals the first three weeks of my fund in 2018 than I did in all of 2019. Like, and maybe that's because I announced the fund and you know, people knew about it, but like, people still know who I am. Like, it's easy to get my email. Uh, it, it, so I, I have to say I've been fairly dismayed by the lack of you know, socially beneficial new applications of blockchain technology in the past year or so. You know, I think you know the next hype cycle will bring more interested entrepreneurs into this space. But it's uh, it's disillusioning to see how it's developing, and I think that that to me would uh, amount to a failure. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of hype cycle, yeah. for last question, if there's one certainty that we have, we know that May 2020 is coming. The having is going to happen. What impact do you think this next difficulty 
increase is going to have on Bitcoin. So I remember, you know, 12, 8, maybe even as recently as, as six months before, uh, before the last Bitcoin halving, and everyone's like, oh, the price is baked in. Like, you know, you know, everybody has this information. Anyone that's uh, uh, betting on the price going up because of the halving or going up further from where it is right now from this point, whether it's, you know, 12, six months ahead is crazy, you know. The price is baked in. And it was my gut instinct, and this was, what, 2015? So, yeah, this is, this is kind of when I went all in on crypto. Um, my gut instinct was that it wasn't. I think these are very immature, nascent markets. And so... I went all in on crypto around then, you know, maybe eight, six months out, and obviously I saw extraordinary upside in a very short amount of time. Now, it wasn't immediately after the halving, but it was just before and just after that we saw Bitcoin climbing back to $1,000 for the first time since, uh, since the beginning of 2014. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin goes up, we see another crazy bull market. I hope it's more subdued, but I just, you know, people apply the rules and mantras of traditional financial markets to crypto, and I think that's always dumb. This is, these are highly irrational markets, wildly irrational markets. And you, know, you know, people may just see the happening and suddenly start buying. Like, you know, you never know what's going to move the market, but if I had to make a, a strong, educated guess, Bitcoin will be significantly higher a year from now than it, uh, than it is in... Uh, than it is Really, any time in the next time couple high, months. Is that what you're thinking? In the next year, I, I say, you know, I'm not like eat my dick certainty, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but I'd say I'd say greater than eighty percent probability that Bitcoin works. You know, history doesn't rhyme, but it repeat or it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And you know, I, I'd say there's a good degree of probability that we see Bitcoin climb. Now, I want it to be gradual. I'd love it. just like moved up slowly, month over month. Obviously, we know that's usually not how it works. Uh, but a year from now, you know, given that the having is coming, if it wasn't, I wouldn't have such a high degree of certainty. But yeah, due to the, the happening of the supply, I think it's all but inevitable. You know, unless there's some existential failure and. Bitcoin's code, and then right. everything's fucked. Right on. Give it up for Jeremy Gardner. <laughs> great stuff, Mr. Joel Kahn. Amazing you could ask such great questions without me being there. I don't know how I did it. I feel like I needed a handicap. Thanks. I'm proud of you, Mr. Joel Kahn. He's all grown up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> big shout out to our other sponsor, Divi. Uh, if you want to have your own master nodes, well, guess what? Divi has a one-click install. They're mochi, M-O-C-C-I. It's a mochaccino. You can easily click that and uh, get your master nodes started and up and rolling. And not only that, but they're doing some really cool stuff down in Latin America. They've uh, partnered up with a bank in Costa Rica, and they are doing this thing called Redivi, which is uh, they're actually giving out debit cards i believe attached to the cryptos and they are helping uh, folks with those huge remittance fees there's like a hundred billion dollars a year that goes in remittance fees that goes to these banks when people are trying to send money to their family and this right here will do it for pennies and so very cool stuff divvyproject.org check it check it out you 
huge, so very huge. Okay, Travis, I had one more interview that I conducted while out there in Philadelphia, and this is a gentleman we actually had on stage with us to talk about his new digital collectible card game that's built on blockchain. Uh, you know, card games are huge business, huge, also huge, and these guys have entered the ring. The technology is, well, the site's called splinterlens.io. As you all know, I am a gamer, lifelong gamer. I've been gaming since before there were video games. Back in the day, it was pinball machines that I used to go to the bowling alley and play. And I remember when Pong came out and Space Invaders and Asteroids, and I'm really dating myself now. But uh, even at 55, I'm still a gamer. And in the gaming realm, one of the different uh, genres is trading card games. Now, I've never been a big Magic the Gathering fan, which was huge and still is a huge trading card game. But I did get into digital trading card games like Hearthstone from Blizzard. Many of you might have as well. Well, it turns out that that is a genre that is just made for blockchain. And with me right now, I've got Matt Rosen, who has developed, along with his partner, a digital collectible card game built on blockchain technology called Splinterlens. That's what it sounds like, splinterlens.io is the website. His name is Matt Rosen. Matt, welcome to Bad Crypto. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, Joel. So before we get into all the blockchain-y stuff, let's go ahead and talk about your personal history as a gamer and an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, I, I guess like you, I've been kind of a gamer my whole life. Um, didn't get started as early. Because you weren't born yet. Wasn't born yet. I tried to be. But, uh, so I, I was a big Magic the Gathering player. I mean, loved it since I was very little when the game almost first came out. One of the coolest things about it was that it wasn't only a game, but it was sort of like an investment, too. The cards were collector's items. Um, I, I unfortunately do not have the majority of cards from my childhood, but some of them are worth a whole lot of money right now. And it was it was kind of like a very cool thing about the game, how there's both those aspects. And then you mentioned Hearthstone. Um, I also put a bunch of money into Hearthstone uh, later on in life. And it doesn't have that aspect at all, right? No, because they're they're not individual cards, right? And for those who don't know, Hearthstone is a game that Blizzard Entertainment put out a number of years ago. And Blizzard is the uh, the game development team responsible for the entire Warcraft and Starcraft universes. So they're huge. They're actually um, Activision Blizzard. Now, I think Activision mm -hmm. owns them technically, and they've still got a number of big games. And Hearthstone is one of the biggest digital trading card games. People play against people, millions of people play against others. And, and it's not just trading card games. I mean, it's really any digital game for the most part is the same thing. You might play Clash of Clans or even Candy Crush. You know, people put money into those Candy games. Candy Crush is evil. <laughs> Yeah. evil it still still helps make the point uh, you, you put the money into those games and you don't get anything right uh versus a, a older game like a physical game like magic the gathering where you know you are actually buying an item and uh if the game is popular and successful over the years that that could be a, a profitable thing right there right there's there's certain cards in the game that there's a limited supply of them. Mm -hmm. And if you own one, it is truly a rare card. And if somebody wants it, they have to buy that card physically from somebody else. They can't go and just make more of them. Yeah, so the, the digital games can just make 
really any amount of them and they don't allow you to trade or buy them from other players. They want you to buy everything from them, from the company. So basically, as soon as I learned about the the different applications you could use blockchain for other than kind of the financial money applications, uh, just immediately I was like, well, we, we got to make a trading card game that does this because it combines the benefits of the physical cards where you really own something that you could sell. It could be a collector's item with all the benefits of digital games that you can play online anywhere, anytime. So you came up with Splinterlands, and this is, um, I'm assuming it has its own lore, it's its own universe. What kind of give me the setting for Splinterlands? Well, one of the interesting things is we actually had a group of our players that wrote a book, 200 pages, uh, about the lore of the world. Um, That's commitment. Yeah, we're going to do a Kickstarter for that soon. Um, So Splint the World is called the Splinterlands. The idea is that there was a a large continent or landmass on the world, and there was a cataclysmic event known as the splintering, which split it up into various different splinters uh, that that are kind of the different groups of cards that you might be familiar with. There's like the life splinter and the earth splinter and the death splinter, uh, fire and dragons and, and all these different things. So. And there's a, a prophecy that one day uh, that which was splintered will be made whole. Um, so it's sort of like all the different splinters are at war with each other using the different magical energy forces of the world. And, you know, at, at some point they, they'll all be unified back into a unified group. The cards are beautiful. The, the art design, did you have anything to do? Are you an artist or is this, did you source this out? I stayed so far away from the art <laughs> design. Yeah, I draw stick men too. That, that's, yeah, um, that's it. It's really, really attractive though. Uh, it's, it's nice artwork. Um, you know, one of the things about games is there's hardcore gaming and there's casual gaming. And, you know, Blizzard designed World of Warcraft where you could be either. You could be a hardcore gamer, level all the way up to the level cap and and raid and get the best gear. Or you can just pop in, do a couple quests and craft something and log off. So how is Splinterlands designed? Yeah, there's uh, we kind of try to be a little bit for everybody. One of my personal things, I stopped playing games like Hearthstone because I don't have the time uh, to invest. I mean, each match could be 15 or 20 minutes. So we, we purposely tried to keep the gameplay to about two to three minutes per match. And then obviously we have people who play it a ton and they want to get to the top of the leaderboard. So we have two week seasons uh, where p- players compete for the top leaderboard spots where you earn prizes, which could be like free packs and, and cryptocurrency and things like that. So this is a game where you're truly placing every element of it on blockchain, right? Yeah. And that's a big distinction between a lot of the games that call themselves dApps or blockchain based, but a lot of them are really just centralized games, but the assets are on the blockchain. That, For example, one I've talked about on previous episodes of the show is one I came across probably six months or so ago, and you're familiar with it as well, Gods Unchained. Yes. And that is an Ethereum based game. But in that case, it's a standard game, but the cards or on the blockchain. Is that right? That, yeah, that's right. We wanted to to really make a full blockchain-based dApp. Um, so in Splinterlands, every single thing that happens in the entire game, everything that you do is a transaction on the blockchain. It's public. It's verifiable uh, by anyone that, that cares to look. And rather than using Ethereum like Gods Unchained did, uh, where it is a little cumbersome, right? It's it, The blockchain can be a little slow, and you do need to have some knowledge of MetaMask 
in order to use the cards. You chose a different chain. Yeah, so we built the game on the Steam blockchain, which is uh, not a typical choice, but I think uh, is really undervalued in in what it provides. Uh, Steam is really much more user-focused. It tries to be a user-friendly blockchain platform. For example, it has, uh, you know, you can create your own account name, and then that's your wallet address. You don't get a random string of letters and numbers, for example. So um, we built it as a second layer protocol on top of Steam. It gives us uh, very fast and free transactions. So it creates an environment where anyone can just go onto the website, sign up, play. They don't have to have crypto. They don't have to have ever heard about crypto. Um, but in the background, they are getting a crypto wallet and they can earn crypto and kind of get into the world that way. See, I like that because that that is an on-ramp to adoption, right? With, you know, it's easy for me now because I understand Ethereum. I understand MetaMask to go to Gods Unchained. I bought cards. You bought cards too, mm-hmm. right? And, and I'm hoping that they uh, at least hold their value. And I'm wishing for everybody's success in the space. I don't think it's uh only one you know can succeed here and i'm rooting for you guys too because i think the on-ramp here go to the site sign up you don't even know that you have to know that you're blockchaining right right you're just you're getting a username and oh by the way so the cards if they're rarer can be sold for real dirty fiat right yes uh i mean not directly for fiat but they can be sold for crypto which you can then sell for fiat so so what crypto are they sold for are they sold for steam um you can sell them for steam we also have our own crypto token in the game which is called dark energy crystals which uh, goes into the lore of the whole kind of world that currently trades for steam and for tron on the tron watch market and we're hoping to get that on other exchanges in the future and I'm looking, there's a marketplace here right now, and I can click on a card and I can see what somebody's asking for it. And so transactions are are taking place already. Uh, all the time. In fact, we have, I think, one of the largest NFT marketplaces that really no one's heard about. Uh, there's over $3,000 worth of cards bought and sold on a daily basis. Over the past year, there's been over a million dollars that have been spent buying cards on the market. So that's not money that comes to us. That's money that has gone to our players that have invested, you could say, in the cards early on. Is there anything else happening on Steam that's got that much volume or activity? Yeah, definitely not the dollar value volume. Uh, we're most of the Steam, Steam has actually a, a very large active user base and not people that are just trading the token, but using the apps. But most of them are, are um, content publishing focused, um, you know, free to use and, and don't really have a revenue model. So I'm, I'm on the website splinterlens.io and I click on this plus sign at the top and I see I can buy dark energy crystals. So I don't need to own those to play the game though, right? You don't, and you, in fact, earn them through playing the game. So directly. so why do I, because it says I can buy them via Steam Engine or Tron Watch. Why do I want to buy them? Well, I mean, you may not earn as many as you need through the game. There are certain things in the game that you can only purchase with the Dark Energy Crystals. So if um, you can either play and earn them, or if you want, you can purchase them. And that purchase mechanism is not, we don't ever sell Dark Energy Crystals. We don't want to get into any issues of being a security or anything like that. Right. So that's just a convenience method of, of it uses the APIs to purchase them off the exchange for you. Interesting. I'm looking here. I can buy some mystery potions and brilliant mystery potions and I can buy orbs and give gifts. There's all kinds of things. So, you know, 
this is fascinating whether you are a gamer or not, because I think that this is the future of gaming in a practical application and utility for blockchain. You mentioned if you're not a gamer. So one of the interesting things is we have a, a whole bunch of people that don't play the game, but they just kind of invest in the cards. Mm -hmm. And they can actually uh, trustlessly rent those cards to other players. Really? Yeah. So they, they still own the cards. They have control of them, but they can allow another player to use them to play. So that way they can rent them and earn a passive income but just by holding cards and then other players who may be very good at the game, but don't have the money to acquire, you know, a high level set of cards can rent them cheaper from other, other people and play and, and win more uh, than they spent to rent them and make money that way. This is interesting stuff. I just, I got a pack here and I open that pack and I can kind of see an estimated value for that card. And so you have a, a way for people to get started with the game easily, right? Typically, when you go onto the site, uh, it costs $10 uh, to get the starter set. You can pay uh, with fiat using PayPal or a variety of cryptocurrencies. What, what's in the starter set? The starter set gives you basically access to play with a base set of cards. So it's, it's enough to just get you started in the game. But uh, 30 cards is yeah. what I'm seeing here. Okay. And and it also, but it also gives you access to earn the rewards, right? So you can play, you can start earning crypto just with that starter set. Does everybody get the same starter set or is there some randomness? No, the starter set is all the same. When you buy the booster packs, those are then random. Got it. Pretty slick. And how big is the community now? We have about 2,500 daily active players, uh, which is pretty huge for a blockchain game, but still pretty small in the scheme of things. Yes, because if you go look at like Dapp Radar, um, you can see how many people are playing or using certain uh, dApps. And there's a lot of them that have, you know, five to 10 daily users. Yeah. Right? Well, sometimes, you know, when people say something like 10 to you, you think like, oh, 10,000. But a lot of times people literally mean 10. Right. So 2,500 daily active users, that's a strong community. And, and I'm assuming that you've got a Telegram and Discord for people to engage and interact. Yeah, both. And, and they're pretty, they're pretty popular and active. I try to stay on top of that as much as I can. So you are offering the starter set for $10 at splinterlens.io, but here's something special for bad crypto audience. You guys out there, I have acquired 10, count them, 10 starter set codes that are basically good for a free starter set. The first 10 of you to send an email to badcryptopodcast at gmail.com with the subject line splinterlens and just write something inside like I want to play, whatever, something. The first 10 of you, I will respond and send you one of those starter set codes and you'll get access to the starter kit for free instead of $10. First 10 go. Yeah, that sounds great. That I would take them up on that opportunity. Another thing I would mention is that after you get the starter set, you can then buy the booster packs and get the additional cards. We have a limited supply of 900,000 uh, of our beta edition booster packs that were uh, created and listed for sale. There's less than 100,000 left, and they are, are going pretty quickly. I expect them to sell out within a month or so. So does this, the beta packs, they have cards that won't be available in the future? That's exactly right. Once those remaining less than 100,000 sell out, uh, those cards will never be available again, except buying them from other players off the market. What's currently the most valuable card? Like what's the most somebody has actually spent outside your team? I want to make sure, you know, we're 
uh, let's keep everything honest here. What's the most? Yeah, our team, first of all, doesn't spend nearly as much as our players. Right. Uh, there have been cards that have sold for uh, over $2,000. Wow. Believe. Um, we, there, was, there was original edition of alpha cards before our set of beta cards, which was like our pre-sale. Each card also has a, a gold foil version. So you can, when you open a pack, every once in a while, you get a gold foil version of a card. Um, which Same is, card, only it's kind of got a gold surrounding. Right, which is similar uh, in Hearthstone. Right. Magic also had even foil printed cards. Mm-hmm. But in, in the game, they actually give advantages. Not They're not better in the game, but you actually earn more crypto uh, if you win and you use the gold cards so there's there's some real value behind them it's not just cosmetic uh so the the golden legendary cards from that original alpha set are the the most valuable cards but you can't game. buy an alpha pack anymore they're sold out and the only way to get cards from that is from somebody who's selling some of their cards and when the beta packs are gone they're gone what happens then uh, we will be releasing a new set of cards uh, in the near future after the beta pack sell out. Are they the gamma cards? We're, we are calling the new set Untamed. Untamed. And the, the, what's cool about this is when you do an expansion pack, you can further the lore, right? That yes. you could tell the story more and more. Yeah, that entire, the all the characters in the new Untamed set were designed by our lore team, who are the ones behind the book that I mentioned. Um, so there's there's actually a really rich story behind all of that. Awesome. Well, you guys can check it out, splinterlens.io. Matt Rosen, uh, good luck with the project, man. Wish yeah, thank you, you so much. Success. Thank you. Well, there you go. I'm playing a little bit of the Splinter Lens myself, opening some card packs, and they definitely do have an active marketplace that is going on there. So you guys can check that out, splinterlens.io. Coming up on our next episode is the bad news episode. We're actually getting ready to record it right now here, just a couple days before it'll be released. And it will feel bad because cryptos are down right now, Trev. Mm-hmm. It's true. Well, that's bad. one thing that we know that is a constant is crypto goes up, crypto goes down. It does. And we're glad that you guys are here because you're the hardcore. You stick with us, you know, through thick and thin, through what are some other good metaphors for that? Thick and thin. Stick together like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Mm, Like bacon and eggs. You guys are bae. (laughs) Peanut butter, jelly time. Peanut butter, jelly time. Way, 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 way. Way now there you go, there you go, there you go. Stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.